0: Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're gonna be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God And not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Mm we started a sermon series last week on the book of Mark and here's, it's one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's the four kind of different accounts of the life of Jesus. And last week, here's what we said. We said that um, one of the things that Mark is trying to do in this book is he's trying to talk to a group of people who are really confused about Jesus, about who Jesus is. There's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is in that day. There was a lot of confusion. People were wondering who is this guy that's walking around doing miracles, just, like like they, they were it, it, he boggled people's minds and still today there's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is and when there's confusion about who, who Jesus is here's what we tend to do here's what here's what I can tend to do here's what you can tend to do is we can tend to fashion a version of Jesus that we're comfortable with and then follow that Jesus because it's just more comfortable to do that. Um, we can create a version of what we think Jesus should be like or what we think he should have said or, or did, and we could create a version of him, and then we follow that Jesus because it doesn't require so much from us. And, uh, and even Jesus' closest followers did this. We talked last week. Even Jesus' closest followers were confused about who he was, and so they were always thinking that he was coming to, to be this sort of a Messiah and this sort of a Savior, and Jesus had to kept correcting them and say, no, 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 that's not the kind of Savior I am. The problem is when we craft like a fake Jesus to follow, it um, it doesn't do anything really good besides really hurt us in the end. And we're just following a Jesus of our own making, and and essentially what we're doing is we're just following ourselves, and it hurts us in the end. And so Mark's gospel is so, so brilliant because he's, he's asking, how so how is... How is Mark going to show who Jesus is to, how is Mark going to show Jesus revealing himself to a group of people who are confused about who he is? And that's kind of like what's going on even just even in our midst right now. And Jesus, and, uh, and so Mark is going to talk about the gospel. And that's what I want to talk about tonight is just that word gospel. You've heard it before. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard that word gospel. Even if you haven't been in church at all, you've heard that word gospel. And, and for a lot of us it's like oh i know what God, what that means and for other people it's like i'm not really quite sure what people mean when they say the gospel and so we're going to kind of just clear some of that up and just dig into that word a little bit because for those of you that grew up in church like me i grew up in church i'm grateful for that but if if you were to have asked or if 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 you ask most christians what's the gospel the answer would be probably something that goes like this we're sinners and Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins so that we can go to heaven. That's the gospel. And if you were to answer that way, you would be right. But also that description of the gospel is incomplete. There's actually, it's actually even better than that, if you can believe that. It's actually better than that. The gospel can't be reduced to, I'm a sinner and Jesus died for my sins. And if I believe in that, then I can go to heaven. That is part of the gospel, but it's not all of the gospel. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. So if you've grown up in church and it's like, wait a minute, I thought I knew what the gospel was. Listen, I'm not trying to blow up any of your categories, but it's an interesting conversation to have. I hope you're, you're going to lean in tonight so that we can just kind of get more on the same page of what it means, what the word gospel means, what we mean when we say gospel. And then if you're new to this whole thing, you are in the right place because you've heard that word thrown around. In fact, maybe you even thought you were opposed to the gospel. You're like, I don't know about gospel stuff. Well, maybe if we can just kind of dig underneath it, maybe suddenly you might realize that, man, that, actually that's the thing I've been looking for my whole life. I just didn't know it. And so... We're gonna to go to Mark's gospel and he's going to kind of create this tension. Um, I, I, if you've been around West Side for any length of time, you know that I, I love movies. And so usually some sort of movie reference gets shoved into a sermon at some point um, because I just love movies. And the thing about movies is to make a good movie, you have to have characters that you care about and then you have to have a plot, okay? And the plot is usually created by cre- having some sort of tension. Okay, Every good story, every good movie has characters you care about. It has a plot, and that plot is usually driven by some kind of tension. And Mark is setting up the tension in the very beginning of his account of the life of Jesus. And so I'm going to read it to you. It's exactly what we read last week. We're going to pull out some other things from it. Here's what it says. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God as it is written in, in Isaiah the prophet. He, and in, uh, he quotes Isaiah the prophet. He says, and in Isaiah the prophet said, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. It sounds like somebody from Portland, right? Um, and this was his message. Sorry, I just threw shade on Portland. I don't know why I did that. Sorry, Portland people. I'm just, we're just kidding. Um, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he, talking about Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by satan he was with the wild animals and angels attended him and after john was put in prison jesus went into galilee proclaiming the good news of god the time has come he said the kingdom of god has come near repent and believe the good news we said last week, you know, Mark is funny because um, Mark's like, do I want to start with six, o- you know, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus? Like, no, I don't think so. I'm going to leave that to Matthew and Luke. You know, he's like, he's just going to dive. He's going to skip all the baby Jesus stuff and he's going to go right into the story. And it just starts at a fast pace. I mean, just things are happening right from the very beginning. Um, and here's what he says. We're going to zoom in on that first verse again. It says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of of God. Good news. All right. Some of your versions of the Bible don't doesn't have good news. I think this is NIV that I'm reading here. Your version might say the beginning of the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That word gospel is a is a word that, that, that means it's this it's good news, not good advice. But good news—it's a proclamation. It comes from the word evangelion. It's the beginning of the evangelion about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's a—it's an announcement that it's—it comes from this word of like announcing that a new king has come uh, to the throne, and so you would send a messenger into a city and say, "Good news! Like you know, like we we won the battle, and you know our 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 land is victorious. You know whatever. It's it's this proclamation of good good news." And what's this news about? Well, it says, it says, it says the beginning of the good news, the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. Now we don't use the word Messiah very much. Um, at least I don't. And so we kind of like lose its meaning. Like what does Messiah mean? You know, and um, I think we kind of have a sense of what it means to the Jewish people. It meant it, had, it was pregnant with meaning. I mean, just that word Messiah, because they had this vision of, of the savior who is going to come and make all things right, Again, Jesus the Messiah. Um, we don't use that word a lot, but that word Messiah right there is the word Christos. It's where, it's, it's where we have Jesus Christ. In fact, some of your versions will say Jesus the Messiah, some of your versions will say Jesus Christ, because the word Christ means Messiah. See, you thought it was Jesus' last name. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Um, his name is Jesus, and Christ isn't a name, it's a title. It's, it's who he is. It's Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus who is the one that everyone's been waiting for and looking for. Um, I was talking to my son about, about this very thing, about how Jesus or Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. And Jeremiah, who's really thoughtful, he was like, he was like Dad, where do people's last names come from? Like, how did they get made? And I was like, I said, well, usually like back in the day, I think it was because of people's, uh, because of what they did as a profession. And so some people, you know, were, had their last name was like shoemaker, you know, because, because they made shoes, you know, and he was like, oh, that's really interesting. He goes, where do you think rice came from? Because my last name is Rice. And I was like, dude, I don't know. And he was just thinking and he was, he was just in the car. He's like, I wonder if at some point somebody just ate like an awkward amount of rice, and then people around him were just like, nah, we know what your name's going to be. And then he thought a little bit. I was like, oh, that's an interesting thought, buddy. And then he thought a little bit more. And he's like, "He's like, yeah, I wonder, maybe Josh Bidwell's family used to be really good at gambling. I wonder. <laughs> I was like, yes, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe, maybe, son. Uh, Jesus, the Messiah. What does Messiah mean? It means ruler. It means authority. It means anointed one, savior. The one that all of our hearts ache for, the one who's, who's, who's going to come and make all things right, Jesus the Messiah. And so it's the good news, the gospel, about Jesus the Messiah. Okay, so what's the gospel? We know it's good news about Jesus the Messiah, so what's the good news? And this is the part that we kind of think, oh, we're Christians, we all agree on what the good news is, but you'd be surprised. <laughs> we have to ask ourselves, what is? what are we talking about when we talk about, okay, so what is this good news? Like I said, for most people, when they hear good, what's the gospel? We think we're sinners destined for hell. Jesus died to save our sins. And if we put our trust in that, then we get to go to heaven after we die. But my question, and it's a provocative question. Hopefully we don't, you know, we don't tie up everything tonight. Hopefully it just makes us all go home and kind of think about this. Was That gospel that I just told you, was that the gospel Jesus preached? Was that the gospel Jesus preached? If not, what was the gospel Jesus preached? What was the gospel that Jesus preached? I feel like that's an important question for us to ask. Because if we can kind of understand what the gospel Jesus preached is, that'll help us really understand what the gospel is. And does it matter if we preach the same gospel that Jesus preached? Does it matter or does it not matter? I mean, is the gospel something that we can kind of just kind of make up on our own and kind of like make it, you know, sound like we wanted to make it? Or should we kind of really stick closely to the gospel that Jesus preached? Um, can we just make the gospel be whatever we want it to be? Um, I, I don't think so. You know, I went to I went to uh, art school. So, I mean, I was at the U of O and I, was, I wasn't couple different directions I wanted to go but I end up majoring majoring in in fine art um, in the ceramic studio I spent just tons of time in the ceramic studio because even though I'm a pastor uh, by profession I'm a potter by trade okay so like that's 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 what I've that's what I did for college and uh, even just this last week I went up and volunteered at Junction City High School and just helped in in the ceramic studio just helping them throw pots on the wheel just brings me so much joy and uh, the thing about art school, which is hilarious, is you, um, especially in a place like Eugene, is I would like be in the ceramic studio and I would make a bowl. And I'm talking like a bowl, like for cereal or for ice cream, you know? And then we would have this time where we would have to put it on the center of the table and have all the art students that were in the class all sit around the table and we'd look at everybody's pieces. And, and you know, then the teacher would ask like, so Brooks, what, what does this bowl mean? And you had to get really good in art school at just coming up with ridiculous answers to that question. Because what I wanna say in my heart is, um, I always just wanted another bowl for ice cream. Like that's really all I wanted. But you have to come, you're like, oh, well, like this curve is like representative of my childhood. And then and then when it kind of curves out, that's like, you know, like the, the governing authorities that are trying to squash our spirits, you know, and and, uh, you know, and the thing about art school and Eugene, especially, if you make anything in the form of some sort of genitalia, like everybody thinks it's the most amazing piece of art that has ever been made. Like they just think it's amazing, you know? And so you just have to like play that game in art school. And, uh, you know, can you do that with the gospel is my question. Are we allowed to kind of, kind of just take it and just make it kind of make it be whatever we want it to be? A lot of people do that. We have to ask ourselves, what was the gospel that Jesus preached? Well, in verse 14 and 15, Mark tells us. Here's what it says. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He's gonna proclaim the gospel of God. And what does he say? He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe what I just told you, the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. The word repent, it doesn't mean like just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The word repent is like this, it's just a change of thought. It's a change of heart. It's a change of attitude. Jesus says, what's the gospel? What's the gospel according to Jesus? Jesus says two things. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. That's the good news that Jesus preached. That's the gospel that Jesus preached. The time is here. The time is now. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is available now. That's the good news. Now, you know, that on, on a surface level, it's like, okay, that sounds kind of like good news. But I mean, what we would like to hear about good news is kind of more like that first description. Because when you hear like, hey, you're a sinner going to hell, but if you say yes to Jesus, you're going to heaven. That's good news. Other other things that Jesus probably should have added in there that were good news is that God's going to improve my finances and your children will obey you always. Like that's good news, you know? That would be really good news. And that's one of the reasons why we sometimes change the gospel around because it's like, oh, I don't But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says that the time has come, the time is now, the kingdom of God has come near. And so if that's true, there's all sorts of questions attached to this, right? It's like, okay, so what is the kingdom of God? Well if if that's the good news that the kingdom of God is available now it's here what is the kingdom of God that's a really big question but really what it means is it, it means big picture it means God's rule his God's dominion God's reign God's sovereignty that he's going to break into our world and he's got this vision for for what the world was supposed to be and it's been marred and it's been fractured and cracked and broken and so God's going to come and bring his rule and he's going to make all things things right again. This was, for the Jewish people, this was their vision. Their vision was that the Messiah was gonna come. And in their minds, like everything before the Messiah is that that time was like Satan's time. That time was just like the evil time. And so in their minds, the curtain on that time was gonna close and the curtain on God's reign and kingdom was gonna open. And when that curtain opens, when the Messiah comes, then all evils will be made right. That all racism and oppression will be over that every blind eye will be able to see, that every deaf ear will be able to hear, that everyone that can't walk will rise up and walk, that those that have tears in their eyes, that they will be wiped away, and that all of that wickedness and evil, that God's going to come and just, just replace it all because he's going to be king again like the world was created for. That was the, that's the vision of what it means to be the, the kingdom of God. And so what, what is Jesus saying about all of that? Everything I just said, what is Jesus saying about all of that when he says the kingdom of God is here? Well, what he's saying is that it's here, it's arrived. Jesus said that kingdom that you're hoping for, that kingdom, the kingdom of God, the time has come. The kingdom of God is available. Um, I hesitate like defining the gospel like definitively because that's kind of like a, you know, that's kind of like a big, I don't know if I have big enough feet to fill those shoes, you know, to define the gospel. But I, I, I've, I just, I, this week as I was preparing for this, I landed on a definition of the gospel that I just really like. Can I share it with you? This is my definition. Just based off of what Jesus just said, here's, Here's a great definition, I think. The gospel is the availability of the kingdom of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and by the filling of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit here uh, in a couple weeks because we see it right in the very beginning. The, The Spirit comes on Jesus and he starts his ministry. So, so important. We can't get into the Holy Spirit tonight. But I think a really great definition of the gospel is the, author, the, the, avail, the gospel is the availability of the kingdom of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, not by our effort, not by us just trying to make a utopia of the world. Like we're never gonna get the kingdom of God to come just by us doing it with our own power. But we can have access to the kingdom because of what Jesus has done for us, not just his death on the cross, but his life and his death and his resurrection through the filling of the Holy Spirit. So why is this good news? Why is this good news? Well, let me get let me get pastoral on you for a second. The reason why this is such good if that's a if that's a if that's the gospel Jesus preached and if my little definition is is it all accurate, then here's why it's here's why it matters. Here's why it's so important. It's like whatever whatever stuff you're walking through right now. Like whatever whatever pain you're experiencing, and we don't have to scratch the surface very far in this room to get to some real pain, hard things. Whatever confusion you have, whatever relationship is broken, whatever, whatever, just, whatever you wrestle with, whatever keeps you up at night, like just those things, just, the hard, just those life things, that whatever you're walking through right now, the kingdom of God is available to you. Like like you can grab it and bring it in, you can bring it in like that's that's really good news I don't know how broken you feel like your marriage is. you just feel like it's broken. You just feel like just feel like like is there any hope here? And the good news is that like that that miracle working like that, that kingdom that where Jesus would come and heal eyes and raise the dead, like that kingdom is available right now in the midst of whatever you're walking through. That matters. That's really, really incredible. That's really, really good news. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Because I would think it too. It's okay. So you're saying that the kingdom of God is here. Jesus like inaugurated it. He announced it. Well, it's not, it's the kingdom of God isn't happening everywhere, pastor. Because like I saw that report about what's happening in Ukraine. I I, like, you're saying the kingdom of God is here. What about all the pain? What about all the, all the brokenness that we experience every single day when you turn on the news? I mean, you're just like, where is the kingdom? If the kingdom's supposed to be here, then where is it? And you know what? There's a paradox in this text. I don't know if you caught it, but I didn't catch it until I was like studying for for this message tonight. But when I caught it, I was like, oh my goodness, it's right here in the text. In verse 14, it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. There's a paradox right here. This doesn't make sense. John, like, like the, the first guy who's like announcing the kingdom, like John, like one of the main, like generals of the, of the church, like, like Jesus is like right-hand buddy. Like he, he's got, he just got put in prison and Jesus, you're coming and saying the kingdom of God is here. Like, no, that doesn't make sense. If the kingdom of God is here, John's not going to prison. John's like out of prison. I mean, what we know about John is John's about to get beheaded. And you're like, wait, what? Like, no, 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 no. No, if the kingdom of God was here, John doesn't get beheaded? No, no, no. No, if the kingdom of God is here, then no, John is liberated. And so you see the paradox right here. And this is what theologians call the already but not yet kingdom of God. It's already here, but not fully realized yet. Remember that, that illustration of the curtain that the, that the Jewish people believe? They believe that it's like Satan's time, like evil time, that curtain was going to close and the kingdom of the Messiah curtain was going to open. But what happened was this is that this this curtain over here didn't close but this curtain of the kingdom it opened it opened and so now what we have is is conflicting kingdoms. We have the kingdom of God that's been unleashed into the world because of what Jesus has because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is unleashed into the world. But yet still it's this overlap of the kingdoms. It's the already but not yet kingdom. That other curtain hasn't closed yet. Someday it will. But right now we live in the overlap of the ages. And, you, and this, is, this is Mark setting up the tension in, in the book right now. Because where Jesus is going, everywhere he announces the kingdom, there are kingdoms in conflict. There are kingdoms in conflict. This is the tension of the book. Everywhere Jesus goes, kingdoms in conflict. This is exactly where you live right now. That's exactly where I live right now. You have a kingdom that you, you know, like just just in, in, inside you, there's this kingdom that you want to build. And in some ways it's in conflict with God's kingdom. Every time you go to work, you, li- you work for a company or a corporation, I don't know what, where you work and it's probably a lovely place to work, but yet there's a kingdom being built there. And in some areas that can be in conflict with the kingdom of God. This, the United States, as great of a place as it can be, the United States is trying to put forward and build a kingdom. And in many ways that kingdom is in conflict with the kingdom of God. This is where we live. We live in the overlap of the ages where these kingdoms are constantly conflicting and we are confronted every day, every single day with the choice, multiple times every single day. Which kingdom will I live in? Which kingdom will I give preeminence into my life? Which kingdom am I going to lean into and which kingdoms am I going to slowly lean out of? That's the choice before us, and that's exactly what's happening. As Jesus walks around, and there's, we could probably think of more, but I, there are three different kingdoms that come in conflict with Jesus' pronouncement of the kingdom of God. I, I, I see three as I've been reading through the book of Mark, preparing for this sermon series. First, the first kingdom of conflict uh, in conflict with Jesus' kingdoms is, is the demonic kingdom, is demons. Everywhere Jesus goes, Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom, and there's, I don't know, it's, it's weird and wacky. It's like these, there's these demonic forces that are in opposition to that kingdom. They do not want the rule and reign of God to come. The other group of people that's that another kingdom in conflict are the Roman and religious authorities of Jesus's day. They were in conflict with, with the kingdom of God coming. First, the Romans, I mean, of course, you know, they, they don't want a new king. Remember the... the The birth story of Jesus, you know, like, uh, excuse me, Caesar, um, he doesn't want, um, or not Herod, Herod doesn't want this new king to come. I mean, he's threatened by this new king, and so he wants to crush out, you know, he wants to kill every boy, you know, under the age of two or three or whatever in Bethlehem because he doesn't want a new king to come. The Romans don't want a new king because, you know, Caesar is king. But the religious authorities didn't want a new king either. They were they were just so focused on on putting rules and regulations around who can have access to the kingdom of God. There were holiness codes and things and you know, only a certain people could go into the temple certain times of the year to be in God's presence. And you had to just be just right in order to do that. And so a few people were included and many people were excluded. But here comes Jesus, and you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is is turning everything around on its head. Jesus is taking that presence of God that was in the Holy of Holies and bringing it out into the world and turning it all upside down. Now everyone can have access to God because here's Jesus, it's God in the flesh. And Jesus isn't just kind of going out into the temple courts. No, Jesus is going out to, the, to where the prostitutes are and the tax collectors. I mean, he's going to all the places, to all the places where people thought that they were the last people to be able to have access to the presence of God. That's where Jesus is taking the presence of God. And it's like he's encountering people all the time in the gospels and they're just amazed that like, wait, wait, I, like I I can have, I can be in God's presence. Like, like God loves me. Like I thought I was counted out. I thought I was one of the last people that he loved. And Jesus everywhere, just turning that upside down. And the religious authorities hated him for it. And they hated him for it so much that they killed him. Talk about a kingdom in conflict. And then... And then the third, the third kingdom in conflict that I see in the scriptures are the disciples themselves. They're well-meaning, I mean, they're disciples, they're following Jesus, but we, we read about it last week. At every turn, I mean, they're thinking like, Jesus is gonna be in charge, Jesus keeps talking about the cross, but I'm sure that's metaphorical because he's gonna like he's gonna kick out the Romans, and we get to be his right hand men. You know, and we get to be in charge. And so at every point when Jesus starts talking about the cross, like remember that moment where Peter pulls Jesus aside and he's like, "Don't talk about the cross. Like that's really bad PR. You know, like people aren't. You know, like come on, Jesus, don't say stuff like that. You're not going to the cross." And Jesus is like, "Peter, you don't get it. You don't get it. Like that's not the kind of kingdom I'm building." The disciples had a presuppositions about what they thought the kingdom would be, and it was in opposition to what Jesus, Jesus' kingdom was all about. Jesus says, not only do I have to go to the cross, but you guys are gonna have to pick up your cross and follow me. That's what it's gonna take. You gotta pick up your crosses as well. Why is getting this so important? I'm gonna call the band up here in just a second, band, don't come up yet, but um, in just a moment. Why is this so important that we're just talking about this? It's an important question, right? I just hope it kind of rattles around in your heart. As you read the book of Mark, as you read, as you just dive into scripture, what, what, was the, what is the gospel and what was the gospel Jesus preached? It's important to me because, uh, and maybe you've heard these terms before, maybe these terms are new, but um, if, we, if we don't get this right, we're in danger of believing a two-part gospel versus the four-part gospel. There's the two-part gospel, and then there's the four-part gospel. Here's what the two-part gospel looks like. The two-part gospel is kind of what I've described already. It's, I'm a sinner destined for hell. Jesus saves, gets me to heaven. It's the two parts. I'm a sinner. Jesus saves, gets me to heaven. Now, I'm not saying that's not the gospel, because that is an important part of the gospel. Please don't mishear me. (laughs) I don't feel like I'm gonna get an email. It's like, heresy, you know, like... Please, this is, that is, that is, I mean, substitutionary atonement, like Jesus being a ransom for many. That is, that is the the, the that's that's the gospel, but it's it's not all the gospel. And the danger of the two-part gospel, the danger of the two-part gospel is is that for many people, the danger of the two-part gospel is you just come to like a church service or to a to a crusade, maybe. And it's like, wait, what? I'm going to hell? And if I just believe that Jesus died for me on the cross, then I'm going to heaven? Sign me up. (laughs) Sounds great. I don't want to go to hell. I'd rather go to heaven, please. And all I have to do is just like believe in Jesus that he died for me on the cross. Awesome. Now, see, for many people, that was the beginning. And that down the, And then you became a disciple, and the reason why you're a disciple of Jesus today is because you had a moment like that, and that's, that's great, that's beautiful. But, but listen. This problem has plagued the Christian Church for the last 200 years. When the gospel when the two-part gospel is the only thing preached, you're going to hell, so believe in Jesus, He'll send you to heaven. The problem is that I can be someone that goes to the front, says the prayer, raises my hand, whatever it is, and then I can just go on my merry way and not be a disciple of Jesus. I don't know anything about obedience. I'm not surrendering my life. I'm not surrendering, I'm not surrendering. I don't have to, it, it doesn't require surrender. All I have to do is just intellectually assent to an idea. Jesus died for me and so then I'm gonna go to heaven. Great, I believe that. The problem is that the scriptures say that even the demons believe that. Even the demons believe that. What's better is a four part gospel. And here's what the four part gospel says the four part gospel says first, creation. Um, That we were, that we are, uh, where's my notes? Um, We are, first is creation, that God created everything and it was good. See, the, the two part gospel starts in the wrong place. The two part gospel starts in Genesis 3. The four-part Gospel starts in Genesis 1 that we're created in God's image, that God made this world and is good and he made us to be partners with him, that male and female would be co-heirs, partners in in being a part of the new creation. This is part of why God, have you ever wondered like why God created a garden and then it seems like everything outside of the garden was just wilderness? Like why didn't God just create everything a garden? Well, the, the reason why is because that wasn't his job to turn everything into a garden, that was our job. He puts us in a garden and it becomes our job to be His hands and feet, to create God's presence and God's garden everywhere we go. That was our job. That so we, we get to be a part of the, creative, the, the, the beauty of creation that God is wanting to do in the world. But, but we decided that we didn't want to do that. And that leads to part number two. It's the fall. It starts with creation and then it moves to the fall. No, I don't, I don't want you to be in charge, God. I'd rather be in charge myself. I don't want to obey you. I don't want want to be number two. I want to be number one. And so because of that, because of the sin of disobedience, just things were fractured. Now God's kingdom can't rule when there's a kingdom in conflict. Next is redemption. God God had every reason to leave us there, but he didn't starting starting with Noah and then you know it tries again and then in Genesis 12 there's Abraham God's going to work, start working a plan of redemptive through this one family the Israelites that's supposed to be a blessing to the nations and then that leads to Jesus his life his death his resurrection the empowerment of the spirit. Now there's this, there's this redemptive plan that God is putting into motion, in, into motion, not to pay us back, but to win us back. And then that culminates, in, that culminates in restoration. Restoration. That because God has, because Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom, now the kingdom is here. And through his people, we get the privilege of helping restore all things that the fall took from us. That this this becomes our role to play in the world. That this, and all of it is leading to this ultimate restoration where God will come, where that first curtain will close finally. And that curtain of God's rule and reign will be forever and ever and ever. We look forward to that day. But until then, until then, I just think it's more faithful to the gospel to preach a gospel that looks more like kingdom, that we're created to live in God's kingdom. The fall is that thing in us that doesn't want to, but God initiated a plan of redemption that now leads us to not only an ultimate restoration of all things, but that that restoration gets to be a part of what we get to do right now, right now. The kingdom of God is available to you so that you can be his hands and feet, so that you can walk with him in discipleship, that is beautiful. Band, will you guys come on back up? And I want us to respond. I've got a, just a question that I want—I want us to respond with. But um, have you ever contemplated heaven? I bet you have, right? Have you ever thought about eternity? And it, like when you were a kid, and you thought maybe it's even right now, you think about eternity, and it just like makes you start to go crazy, like in your brain um usually when people contemplate heaven we we get this picture unfortunately I think we get this picture of like what are we going to do in heaven well we're going to sing a lot and we're going to eat a lot like that's heaven like when you have this picture of heaven that like everything is already available to us you know like we just have everything that we need or want um have you ever thought this have you ever thought that like maybe that might get boring after like a year have you ever thought about that like if we just have everything that we want, like that's gotta like when you think about eternity, like that seems boring. Have you ever seen that show, The Good Place? It's like a, uh, we, we, my wife and I watched the show, The Good Place, but it's. Um, you should watch it on your own, but the reason why they don 't want to be in the good place ultimately is they just have everything that they want. they have no agency, they have no responsibility they 're all very bored and they 're trying to get to the bad place <laughs> because at least in the bad place like they can they can like do stuff and create stuff unfortunately that that view of like what heaven is, is all about is so wrong because here 's the picture that we get of heaven that what God's ultimate restoration is going to look like is that we get to be like in the garden again, his partners, not his equals, no, his partners in being a part of the new creation. Like we actually are going to have like stuff to do. I don't even know what that means, but that's exciting. And what God wants to do in us right now through the availability of the kingdom is he wants to create the kind of people who know how to partner with his kingdom so that when his, catch this, when his ultimate kingdom comes, we will be people that know how to live under his rule and reign. That's a part of what discipleship means on this earth. We get to bring God's kingdom. That's why we pray. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Could you stand with me? We're gonna sing one last song and there's communion and there's prayer teams up here. We just bring the lights down, Kyle. And I just wanna create like a, just kinda wanna create a space. I, I look at me for a second, then I'll have us close our eyes. I just, I, I, for, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes in a second. And I just, I just want you to contemplate your life. Contemplate your life. What areas of your life are you participating in the rule and the reign of God? And what parts of your life are you leaning away from the rule and reign of God? It's an important question to ask. Just let the Holy Spirit just like search that in you, not to create like guilt, but to give you a moment where you can repent. This is beautiful. Where I can just say, Lord, I I really do want your rule and reign. And so Lord, would you help me see areas where I'm resisting your, your kingdom for whatever reason? Lord, open my eyes to see it. Could, could we have the boldness to pray that prayer tonight? And whatever the Lord reveals to you would you, would you, would you look at that? Would you take that seriously? Would you take that to heart? Would you let him do that work? So I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and just, just take a minute before we start to sing. And I'm gonna let that question just hang. Where does the rule and reign of God need to take more of a center stage in your life? Like you kind of have like an area in your in your in your life where you just want to you just want to surrender to the Lord in a fresh way. You want his kingdom to just get washed over it. You just want him to be Lord of that area. As I pray, will you just picture that thing and just picture it in your mind? Maybe even if you want to, you can just kind of like hold it in your hands in front of you. And I'll pray for us. Father, Lord, we just we take these things and Lord we repent for just for holding these areas of our life away from your kingdom because we we feel like we can be a better king than you or or for whatever reason, we just don't trust you to be king in that area or or whatever. Maybe there's deep wounds there or maybe, maybe there's deep pride and arrogance there or maybe it's a combination of both. But Lord, we just hold these things out to you and Lord, we say, Lord, may your kingdom come that the time is now. The kingdom is available to me right now. This kingdom, where you heal things, where you cause life to come out of death, it's available to every single one of us right now. And could I just see it? Lord, give me eyes to see it. And if there's something in me that doesn't want it, then Lord, then, then help me deal with that too. But get just down to the very, very bottom of my motivations and my heart and my will and everything. Lord, would Just would you speak to us? Would you transform us? Lord, would we respond to you tonight whatever way that we need?